putting our heart into this wholesome intention, placing our heart in the direction of sila. So important foundation nowadays. The Dalai Lama once asked, was once asked, what is Buddhism? By a person, I was actually in the room, and he says, there's so many concepts, so many ideas, so many <laughs> things that we hear. Can you just say a few words, in a nutshell, what is Buddhism? And he replied, in a very simple way. He gave the most simple response. He said, it is a mental training that we get to transform the unwholesome states of mind that cause pain. And he defined liberation as the complete cessation of these torments, unwholesome mind states. He said, they are simple afflictions of the mind. And he added, in terms of speaking to this person very directly, a young man, he said, I have deeply the full confidence that it is possible to be free of them. So may we have this intention and hold our hearts that we are actually able, having the full confidence that it's possible to be free from the kalashas, from the torments of the mind. You know, we kind of categorize greed, hatred, and delusion, but of course, there's many of them. <laughs> there's pride, there's jealousy, there's envy, there's, you know, <laughs> many more than these three. So um, there's... <laughs> clearly ways that we can actually sense this. So we are making here and hopefully elsewhere in our lives physical and mental efforts in the service of awakening, in the service of the liberation of the mind and heart. And naturally, we understand all along that to be free of them, we need to meet them. We find that along the way, whether here or elsewhere, we begin, if we have been in practice for quite some time, we begin to taste the fruits of this liberation process. And I think it's very helpful that we actually take the time to notice the fruits, the absence of these. So we come to know through very direct experience in our practice certain states of mind which decrease, the ones that are painful, and other ones that increase. It's a very natural balance that comes forth, right? So we begin to find that at least to some degree, maybe not full liberation yet, <laughs> but to some degree, we really sense also the empowerment that this gives us, that we can stay in our seat and that we are, in certain ways, feeling a little freer, more open in our heart, less suffering. And therefore, there is a way that we begin to sense the wisdom of the wholesome mind states and act for ourselves to begin with, in less harmful ways. And we also begin to act very naturally in less harmful ways in relationship to others. Our life becomes a little less complicated. As I said <laughs> the, the other evening, it's not to have a sense of really being in the intention of completely free, but already to have a 
potential to sense how when we bring some attitude of complete awareness with wisdom, life becomes less complicated. And it's just extremely valuable that it feels that way. It's really something helpful, less troubled, I can say. So more and more, we also have the possibility, the potential to feel the availability of having access to confidence. Really, amazingly so, there is an access to this greater feeling of confidence, of trust. We trust more that we can stay in connection, stay tuned, rather than disconnect. And this is big. We trust that we have that capacity. And of course, this means that we also bring a trust that it's possible to maybe have a sense that some potential in our own heart and mind can move in the direction of liberation. So there is an intention. And it's happening in the immediacy of the here and now. In the immediacy of what is happening for me in any situation. Then our confidence takes a deeper root, meaning that we can trust that it's possible to live our life more fully. The Buddha said, Abandon what is unwholesome, O bhikkhus. If it were not possible, I would not ask you to do so. If this abandoning of the unwholesome would bring harm and suffering, I would not ask you to abandon it. But as the abandoning of the unwholesome brings great benefit and even happiness, therefore I say, abandon what is unwholesome. Cultivate what is wholesome, O bhikkhus. One can cultivate what is wholesome. If it were not feasible, I would not ask you to do it. If the cultivation of wholesome would bring harm and suffering, I would not ask you to cultivate it. But as the cultivation of the wholesome brings benefit and happiness, therefore I say, cultivate the wholesome. It's so simple, so direct a teaching, strengthening our own potential, moment by moment. So this really is a very direct teaching. It can be done. <laughs> you know, this phrase, I'm European, so I can say, yes, we can, without the reference. <laughs> what the president says, right? <laughs> but there is a truth in this. I mean, that it's so empowering that, yes, yes, it's possible. Even if we, of course, encounter many, many <laughs> difficulties on the path. It's not without, you know. We do, honestly, each one of us have them. They're, they're here. So I found in my own path, which has been quite, quite some years now, you know, that um, the more it goes the more I feel the sense of confidence. And it really empowers ex an extraordinary joy, <laughs> a sense of appreciation for the teaching, which probably some of you also have because you have been on the path as many years as I have. So hopefully this also is something we can share together, right? the love and the gratitude for the teachings themselves, to be on the path. Just like the Dalai Lama said to this young man, one of my teachers, Saito Pandita, he would always begin a teaching to me, probably sensing the doubting mind, <laughs> the self-doubt of my own capacity to fulfill the teaching, he would say, approach the practice with the attitude 
that you can do it. That you can be successful. And coming from him, it was really, you know, touching the heart very deeply. And of course, a great potential for encouragement in terms of keeping at it. And he says, this is not because I say it. He said, this is because the Buddha taught this. And it is true. So all the way to the Buddha, the lineage of these teachings and the teachers and all the beings that have walked this path before us. And naturally, as I said, awareness is one of the deepest refuge in one of my earlier talks. So until we're fully awake, there will be moments of ease and connection and moments where the practice and us in terms of being in this connection with the practice, moments when it will be extremely challenging. And it's just normal that it's that way. Yet we can strengthen the qualities and really take to heart that these are here for us. Annie talked about the quality of equanimity. Is it not? Yeah. This balance of mind and how it can be really cultivated and how also it comes along as we're staying in tune with what is happening. Another quality which is very clearly being cultivated all along and strengthened is the quality of patience. It's said that it's one of the highest virtues, patience. I call it the hidden virtue. <laughs> it's not really spoken about so much and, you know, it's under the surface. So we talk a lot about, you know, energy and calm, tranquility, concentration. And yet all along, if there's an interest to actually sense what is growing and what is strengthening, I believe that patience is one of the qualities that can manifest a great virtue. And as we know, not only in Buddhism or in these teachings of the Buddha, right? It's a virtue in any type of spiritual tradition. But we can really sense for ourselves, you know, what pops up in our own mind just as we hear the word patience. I often have this, oh, I don't have enough patience. <laughs> it's not part of my <laughs> living habits, right? And at times, one person would say, who would want to cultivate patience in a culture where, you know, we need to be efficient. <laughs> so it's not really of value. And it may sound out of date. As a teacher says, oh, this is a quality that's totally out of date. <laughs> and yet, he says, it's because we're so impatient that we don't understand what patience is or what it can reflect in our own being. So definitely it's not worshipped in the Western culture, although now you know, there's some sense of our own culture and way of life that is contagious in, in the East. I, I was, as probably I mentioned, not long ago practicing in Burma. The speed there, <laughs> very different from 10 years ago. So, you know, it's not in countryside, thank goodness, but it hasn't that kind of really calm quality that I used to find. So here, there is a sense of being efficient. And it's really true that we have become an impatient society. You know, I often ask myself, What's the rush about? <laughs> what 
is the point? What is the dimension? You know, and I think it's a very good question, actually. Just about time, just about where are we going? You know, what is it about? And in my own life, as you will probably move out one day, for some quite soon actually, there, you know, we, you have a to-do list, no? Usually, I mean, as I age, I need to write down <laughs> what, <laughs> what I need to do. Uh, that used, it used to be the case, but now yes. And so you put everything down, and I now have a very good attitude in terms of the to-do list. Half. I just bring it to the half of what's written down on that list. And this has become a norm. And it's amazing how I feel more spacious, <laughs> more able to actually live my life with it'll happen tomorrow, it'll happen another day. So if you do have one, try it. It takes into account our sense of well-being. It takes into account also our sense of limitation, that we actually honor our limitations and that we don't need to be efficient. We need to live our life a little more fully and hopefully with a greater sense of happiness. So when everything has to be done fast, of course, this will also appear and manifest in terms of practice. Wanting results. Wanting to get. And if we don't get what we think is the goal, then very naturally there's a sense of losing interest. And we can notice this is exactly what is happening. So patience is also manifesting in terms of the endurance of hardship. Being able to endure when there is hardship. These are a few words from Achan Sumedu's own experience of patience. When he was in, at Wat Papong, he says, when I first went to Wat Papong, I couldn't understand Lao, the language. And in those days, Achancha was at his peak and giving three-hour talks every evening. Can you imagine being in here for three hours? <laughs> he could go on and on and on, and everybody loved him, of course. He was a good speaker, and everybody enjoyed his talks. But if you couldn't understand Lao, I'd be sitting there thinking, when is he going to stop? I'm wasting my time. I'd be really angry thinking I've had enough. I'm leaving. But I couldn't get enough nerve to leave. So I would just sit there thinking, I'll go to another monastery. I've had enough of this. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And then he would look at me. He had the most radiant smile. And he'd say, are you all right, Sumedo? <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly, all the anger accumulating for that three hours would completely drop away. That's interesting, isn't it? After sitting there fuming for three hours, it can just go right like that, he says. So I vowed that my practice would be patience and that during this time, I would strengthen patience. I'd sit and sit and sit again as long as I could physically stand it. I determined not to miss them or try to get out of them and just simply practice patience. And by doing that, I began to find that opportunity to be patient was something that has helped me so much ever since. Patience is a very firm foundation for my insight and understanding of the Dhamma. Without that, 
I would have just wandered and drifted about. So this quality of patience, it's really growing in each and every one of us. There is no doubt that there can be a very conscious way (laughs) of developing and strengthening this quality. And even if we don't have that quality in mind all the time, it is developing. But you notice in his description, he had some energy. hmm? So there is kind of a sense of endurance, of determination. It's not happening all by himself. It's just a determination to just stay tuned to stay present. I determined not to miss them or try to get out of them. So with whatever that is manifesting, we can find that we can be in the midst of a difficult situation. And so much of the time, we think, I'm learning nothing from this. Nothing. It's not true. (laughs) It's not true. Patience is being learned. And it's no small thing. So this quality comes about when faced with difficulties. It has some dimension of forbearance. But in the Buddhist teachings, it also has some ability to not retaliate in the face of hardship. To really have the strength and courage of heart to stay firm and find a way that we are in an ability to not fight back. That fight which may naturally come forth. So, you know, we may hear the word of tolerance or forbearance and then it's like, (laughs) I have my right here. (laughs) And then, you know, self-righteousness come along and we think that patience then, it's kind of a resignation. Not at all. It's this firmness, the foundation of having an energy to be able to find the strength and courage to actually allow for the possibility to have some balance. Patience is a firm ground for equanimity. It is a truth in being able to stand firm, but in a way we are not harming back, hitting back. So of course, it's a wholesome quality. So in terms of unpleasant experience, there may be a sense of resistance, right? And we can feel that there is a clenching of the fist or a gritting or the teeth holding back our breath, right? And there's a reinforcement of that tension. This is part of the process. It may start here, where there's a sense of, oh, I can't take this, right? And we have, of course, the possibility, the potential of having a clear knowledge of mindfulness, which hold this ingredient of the possibility of staying tuned, staying in connection, staying in presence, and patience comes about. So there are many ways that we can actually learn from patience. Now we learn, at least for myself, (laughs) how I best learned (laughs) in terms of strengthening patience is when we meet our impatience. And that's the resistance. What happens when there is Impatience. Well, it's the fiber, you can say, the substance that we work with, right? We acknowledge the impatience exactly like Achan Sumedha was saying, you know? Three hours (laughs) of impatience, of having thoughts where this is unbearable, I don't want it, right? I'm out of here, exactly his words, and yet staying in connection, not giving in, not giving in, and finding the way that we can actually 
clarify the state. So not giving in to the resistance. And yes, it may go in a second. That impatience can turn into patience in a second, in the moment that there is a possibility of opening. So impatience is what we're going to be working it with. It's a resistance to what is present, right? A form, again, of grasping on one side and aversion on the other. And often it's kind of an, an imbalance and it works with both sides. Like there's, <laughs> there's a sense of grasping to want it to be different and aversion to what is. So it's a very clear imbalance also in the mind, but energetically. And I think that to stay tuned at the level of the body will be a great indication to actually enable us to notice that most often there will be restlessness, agitation, a sense of pressure of the energetic field. And in the mind, some sense of frustration, no doubt. It may be full-blown anger. It may be also restlessness or irritation. So all these different types of emotions may come up. And yet we are able to meet these mind states and the imbalance of energy with mindfulness. And this moves into being able to sense a deeper potential for patience to come in. Relax and open to the experience. What happens there? It's a release of the struggle. Really, patience helps us release the struggle. And we feel the benefit that we actually can stop. Stop the struggle. Stop the fighting. In terms of patience for myself, it's the very quality where not only are we able to stay present, but there's a way that we don't force the situation. There's a way that we don't force, like, tense up into the situation. And how is it that we force? Because so often we will notice that we have a personal agenda. Me has an agenda. Me has a project. There's a way that we feel that there is a goal to be accomplished. And so the patience will allow us to notice this and release. Therefore, we can stop, we can pause, and we look into what is actually present. Sometimes we don't even recognize that impatience is in ourself. And the first thing we may notice is that actually <laughs> it's objectified on other people. You know, they're the source of my discomfort and unease. How many times are we in this situation, even in a place where there's so much spaciousness? You know, there's really, it's deluxe here. <laughs> I can tell you. <laughs> you don't have a hundred people that are in line <laughs> waiting <laughs> to be served, right? Lunch line or dinner line. No waiting. <laughs> That's quite precious. So maybe you don't work patient so much at the forest refuge. I don't know. <laughs> but there's many situations where we'll find ourselves. And <laughs> we're objectifying the others as our source of discomfort. And it can even happen here. You know, just the wee, right there in the corridor. They're not so large, right? So a person is walking slowly in front of us and they're walking just a little slower than we are and there's irritation. And whoop, we feel <laughs> the agitation, the restlessness. Is it not? 
We stop, we pause, and we can be patient. Hey, it has nothing to do with this other person. Let them live <laughs> their own life. <laughs> so it's amazing how we can begin to sense that often, of course, we look at the outside, the outer circumstance. And we do this all the time in our life. I'm not a driver, but I hear that in cars. This happens a lot. It's amazing how impatience can manifest <laughs> when you're a driver. So wherever it is in your life that you may choose actually to decide this is where I'm actually going to strengthen patience, cultivate patience, which of course will strengthen the mindfulness, the wisdom, the equanimity, all of the other qualities where you feel that there is a need for some sense of, of patience. The calm, the concentration. I mean, it's amazing how <laughs> kind of this, this quality will affect the mind and strengthen all the others, the, the factors of awakening. So we relinquish a little bit more our resistance and are more able to be in tune with the experience, whether it's an inner experience or an outer experience. It doesn't matter really, whether we're really just relating with ourselves and our monkey mind maybe, <laughs> or relating in terms of a situation in the world. In terms of practice, where I've really strengthened my quality of patience was exactly what I talked about, I think it was yesterday morning, of bringing some continuity of mindfulness in terms of daily activities, putting a priority in the transitions when we are actually not on the cushion, because I think that's exactly where it's so clear that maybe there's a sense of <laughs> rushing. And for me, it was very clear with the yogi job. It's amazing how we give priority to certain activities. <laughs> and rushing through the yogi job to get to the cushion, as though this was kind of a thing where, ah, oh, there's something precious <laughs> that will happen on the cushion, which of course when you're washing the pots, <laughs> is not exactly the same kind of value that we give, and yet exactly that value. So to not be in this rushing mode and allow ourselves to here and now just taking the time. It doesn't mean that you know, you're going to be really slowing down, <laughs> but not rushing either to really sense what is the balance here? What is the tuning? And it requires at times very fine tuning to be able to be in this being mode rather than in the doing as we are doing something. So from the place of how does it feel to be embodied, like in presence, because it's always about presence truly being present and not having in mind, okay, when am I going to be done? Is this going to take long? Ooh, you see the pile of dishes. <laughs> and this is why I choose, <laughs> you know, cleaning the pots. Fantastic to just be in this being mode as you are actually discovering what it is to have a natural interest to inhabit the now space, whatever is manifesting. For other people, it may be in the walking practice. That we actually embody, there's a ground of presence from which we live, and that quality of patience is so helpful. One yogi this morning said to me, she said exactly that, I have a little phrase to help me be patient. 
And I said, oh, this is interesting. It's the topic of tonight. <laughs> and yeah, I constantly remind myself, it's happening here. It's happening here. To really drop into what's happening for me here. And so it's so helpful because this is a foundation. And no doubt that when we actually truly taste one breath, then we can feel the nature of that breath and the impermanent nature. That one breath is that unique breath. And there's a quality of sensory experience there that is unique. It's the birth and the death of one breath. The birth and the death of one step. To that level can we sense the nature of our own being. And patience really helps in the terms of embodiment of presence, where we actually feel the flow of life. So naturally, this quality of patience also helps us when we have bigger issues. There are sometimes very big issues in our life. You know, when we're really truly ill, or there's a loss of a job, and it takes really a lot of time to find one again. Situations that are very insecure. And we can stay with that quality of patience as we go through these moments of life that are very challenging. So as I said, one of the ways that I've been really having some trust and confidence in the practice, and when you maybe don't see the effect as you are in the midst of the practice, but you do sense the effect, in your life, where you after you say, wow, after all, <laughs> all these sittings and these walkings and these retreats, they really change my way of being in this life situation, in this circumstance. And I had a very true living experience of this. I think it's one of the greatest lessons of my life, caring for my mother who now passed away but who had Alzheimer's disease for quite a number of years. And I was a caretaker until I just couldn't be one because of um, teaching. And talking about the endurance in terms of <laughs> being in the face of hardship, this was a very big lesson, life lesson. And Really, the companion in this relationship was metta for one and patience for the other. She had very many anger fits. One of these ways that a personality type, which just manifests, and then, of course, in later years, it was just like the, the recurrent question, one time, two times, three times, four times. And it was just such a teaching of its present moment. Just like one breath, I'm replying to this question as if it was the first time I heard the question. And one question, and the same repetition, and the same question. And the question was, what time is it? What time is it? What time is it? It was amazing. But so beautiful, because of the Dharma. Really, quite frankly, the Dharma was my great, great teacher. So we can understand that there's so many ways that we can sense the, the power of this practice and the power of patience. 
in times when we face reality and all its aspects, even the challenging ones. So patience in the face of hardships. Another aspect is clearly to be in a place where there is the ability to be in the truth of acceptance. Acceptance is the proximate cause for the arising of patience. To actually not be so goal-oriented. Acceptance of what is. So it really is, for me, I feel really the opposite of hope and fear. That quality of patience really enables us to limit the sense of expectation. When we have, you know, little phrases like, oh, this is a waste of time. (laughs) I better do something else, right? Because we just meet the restless mind and the body pain and everything that (laughs) we know well. Hmm? And so we want things to be other than what they are. Or we have self-doubt and say, I can't do this. It's too hard. We become impatient. And so we accept. Actually, it has great value when we actually can be in this place where there's a recognition of that wanting it to be different in terms of hope or expectation. And we are allowing it to be just this. It's just this. A quality of pure presence. And it's a process. So this proximate cause of patience is just really being in a place where we develop a sincerity of heart and allow for the causes and conditions to be what they are. And there's a process. And there's a flow of changing experience. So we carry our heart with all the ups and downs. This is a little story which really is quite nice and it speaks to this effect. It's called A New Set of Eyes. I was standing in the central square of a pueblo in Taos, New Mexico, waiting for the Native American ceremonial dance to begin. Even though I had driven a long way to experience this ritual, my mind was filled with impatient thoughts. When will the dancers arrive? How much longer do I have to wait? I moved restlessly around the square, observing other visitors. We all took turns glancing at watches and searching the horizon for signs of movement. I tried to stand still in one place and instead shifted my weight from foot to foot, willing things to happen. Nothing. An hour passed, then two. I memorized the shape and texture of the stones at my feet and noticed the exact way the last rain had pushed some small dunes of sand against a nearby log. I considered errands I might be running if I only had arrived a little later. (laughs) I tried hard to not sight out loud and seem impolite. Finally, I sat down in the dirt. I think it was a crow that suddenly flew past, causing me to look up. His flight broke my mind's litany of the time I was wasting. For the first time, I really noticed the adobe building surrounding the square. Standing on the flat roofs of every home were native women and small children, each wrapped in colorful blankets and shawls. They too awaited the dance, but it was the quality of their waiting that seized my attention. There was no restlessness, even in the children. They stood from a place within. I could see it. They emanated a quiet that said without words, something is about to happen. 
To experience fully, you must be present. You must be joined to it with your breath and being. Then you will no longer be an observer. You too will dance, even though you stand still. You are the dance. My eyes lingered on their faces, their stillness, watching them. I slowed my own breathing. The anxious words in my head gave way to words from a deeper place. Words spoken without a sound. I let myself be led by a different kind of knowing. I brushed dirt from my jeans, and now I too stood up. Something holds all life in being. The thought was as distinct as the sunlight streaming down. The dance is not an event. It is said, it is life. Your life. Like the woman, I turned and faced east, observing the power of a simple day. I barely noticed when the drumming started. It no longer mattered. For me, the ceremony had already begun. This is our practice. This is our practice. The dance of being. The dance of being fully embodying this life, this life of ours, whatever it carries, whatever it carries. So this quality of acceptance, of being able to meet what is the manifestation of patience, is not opposing, not resisting, accepting the way things are. So we can sense that with an open mind, and mostly here, it's dropping from that level of mind, head, to heart, to heart. It's, it's, it's a little sad that we call this quality of presence mindfulness. Unless we understand that mindfulness is heart. Because it is chitta. It's much more the quality of the heart where we are embodying our center here. When you show yourself, you know, what do you say? Do you say, me? <laughs> no, right? You show, we're here, right? And, and it's amazing because in Asia, it's exactly that, that they have an understanding that it's not about the brain. And I think it's very precious to say that nowadays because, you know, we really sense the efficiency of, <laughs> of meditation in terms of what it does <laughs> to the brain. And no doubt, it may have an effect on the neurons, no doubt. But it's a matter of the heart, of really embodying this heart-mind presence, being whole, being full, being in our being, peaceful and spacious. So patience is absolutely nothing like resignation or passivity. It's a strength, a really strong strength. It's the kind of acceptance that allows all of life to come in, where we stop strategizing. And When we do strategize, it's just reactivity. We know it well. And we understand it's not inherent to the nature of mind. It's a conditioned reflex. Reactivity. 
is not inherent to the nature of this being. So we learn to relax when it feels edgy, being gentle around the edges. It's really helpful to be gentle around the edges, softening the heart. And it takes courage of heart to bring this quality of strength, but with great gentleness, gathering our momentum. One of my very clear and wonderful teachers, Dogo Krenzi Rinpoche in the Tibetan tradition, which probably know that I have some familiarity with that tradition as well. He has these words for us. One should not sit down to meditate with various hopes or fears about the outcome. One just does it with no self-conscious feeling of I am now meditating and without attempting to control or force the mind in any way. And not even trying to become peaceful. If one finds that one is going astray in any of these ways, one should stop meditating and simply rest and relax for a while before resuming. If either during or after the meditation one has experiences that one interprets as results, they should not be made into anything special. Recognize that they are just phenomena and simply observe them. Above all, do not attempt to recreate them as this opposes the natural spontaneity of the heart-mind. So this is clearly a strengthening of total, unconditional acceptance. Is it not? Of just what is, without attempting to control, to strive, not even to become peaceful, right? No hopes, no fears, just being in the momentary experience. Aung San Suu Kyi, the leader of the democracy movement in Burma, you know, she has been under house arrest for quite a number of years. And not so long ago, she was interviewed by a Swiss journalist when she came on her last visit to Europe. And he asked her how difficult it had been all these years, to be in her house. And she smiled and said, it has not been difficult at all. (laughs) And so he asked her, how come? (laughs) And she named a few qualities that were strengthening as she was in the conditions. And of course, she named compassion, wisdom. But she said, there's one hidden quality that has been her closest friend, and that is the quality of patience. And that we should never forget this quality. Hence the the name of this talk, Patience, the Hidden Virtue. And actually, the Buddha really spoke of patience as being one of the highest virtues. And so, here are a few words of Ansan Sushi. She says, There is darkness in the world, but it is merely an absence of light. All the darkness in the world cannot dispel even the smallest candle flame. We need only to accustom ourselves to the dim vision, and then the blessing of light will grow. Getting accustomed 
to the situation, to the dim vision, takes patience. And then it strengthens into the capacity of being able to dispel the darkness and the blessing of light grows. The quality of patience, extremely helpful. Suzuki Roshi talked about patience to his students and he would talk about the quality of constancy, to just be constant. In the same way that Dilgo Kinsey Rinpoche says, just do it. <laughs> just keep at it, you know? Don't worry. Suzuki Roshi says, don't worry about the notion of progress. It's so much more important just to be constant. So holding a wider view, the larger perspective, reminding ourselves that self-transformation takes a certain amount of time. So we're patient. We can relate and then everything is part of the process of liberation. So people would ask Suzuki Roshi if awakening is sudden or gradual. And his answer was, after you have practiced for a while, you will really realize that it's not possible to make rapid, extraordinary progress. And the good news is that it doesn't matter. <laughs> because the path is the fruit. And we begin to sense this. We really don't care about getting to the destination. And so we really take in this teaching. And this is why we are in this precious situation as yogis, to sense this, to experience this. It's a way that I feel more and more when we begin to really sense this, there is a quality of confidence. But what happens is we very naturally purify our motivation. There is a purification of that motivation, of the wholesome intention, which happens. We start to understand that life is full <laughs> of challenges and beauties. And patience leads to the quality of equanimity, the balance, taking it all in. And therefore, we purify our motivation because there's less or even at times not at all any kind of attachment or rejection. And this, of course, is leading to the highest peace. We actualize the potential to understand also the whole world of which we are part. It affects us, it affects everyone we meet. This is the larger perspective and it's amazing. So holding the broader view, not getting so uptight with the difficulties. So I'll end with, again, a teaching which really reflects the, the preciousness of being able to embody the quality of presence, being grounded. This is from Achancha. He says, do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. It's pretty big. <laughs> Do not become enlightened. <laughs> when you sit, let it all be. When you walk, let it all be. Grasp at nothing, resist nothing. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything.
to not be a meditator, to not become enlightened. When you sit, let it be. When you walk, let it be. Grasp at nothing, resist nothing. Achancha. No fixation whatsoever. So let's sit for a minute or two. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.